I think your job as an underwriter is to basically to piece together all the different bits of the puzzle. Welcome to the Instec London podcast. This is Matthew Grant, and this week I'm talking to Bevis Tetlow, CEO of Imaginera. Bevis started off his career in catastrophe modeling, launching his own technology company, then moving into underwriting with Hiscox. He headed up their North American treaty insurance for the Bermudan office, and whilst he's there, he designed the company's reinsurance underwriting system. This was subsequently built with the help of Imaginera, and Bevis joined the company earlier this year. We're delighted to bring you this podcast with the support of Insurance Insider. We know from experience that Insurance Insider readers are the first to hear about the latest global wholesale specialty and reinsurance breaking news. Instead, London listeners are eligible to download the latest issue of Insurance Insider free from insuranceinsider.com backslash London, or one word, and we'll give you that in the episode notes. Bevis, welcome to the Insight London podcast. You've had a pretty varied career. We, we started off together at RMS uh, about 20 years ago. You've gone from technology, you went into underwriting, and now you've come back into technology again. So so what is it about the lure of technology that uh, brings you back? I mean, actually, it was a very hard decision to leave underwriting, but uh, uh, you know, I really enjoyed my time in Bermuda and being an underwriter is a great career. Back in the day, we used to work at RMS and after that, uh, I worked, uh, had a little consulting firm in technology. It's always been an area I've been very interested in. Uh, and the opportunity uh, in Oxford uh, to work in Imagineera um, was obviously appealing too. So that was part of the reason to stay in reinsurance, but not be in London. We'll come back to Imagineer in a minute. But just talking a bit about your time at Hiscox, so you were uh, the underwriter there for US treaty business. But in your spare time, you seem to have built the entire reinsurance underwriting platform. How, how did you manage to combine both what seemed like two full-time jobs? Yeah, so I used to head up the underwriting, uh, the treaty underwriting for North America and for the Bermuda and London operations at Hiscox. I didn't build it myself at all. Uh, I, I obviously had a big hand in designing it, so I used to head up the underwriting systems design uh, at Hiscox, but the truth was there's a, there's a big team of people that helped me and I was simply the more the figurehead of it. But it seemed to survive and actually, I think, is still being used pretty successfully today at Hiscox. Is that right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So we've, uh, um, there is, Hiscox has built uh, the entire end-to-end system for themselves. And I had a big part in in moving them uh, when I joined Hiscox, would have been 14 years ago, uh, into that world away from uh, Excel into much more uh, bespoke platform in terms of how they process and manage their submissions and did their modelling. And that, that choice to build versus buy is something that you know, lots of companies struggle with uh, across all dimensions, and, and in particular in terms of sort of policy administration systems. I mean, what what were the choices you had at the time when you looked out to see what was on the market versus what you had to build yourself? Uh, well, certainly back when we were when we first went out to Bermuda in two thousand six, there was very limited opportunity to buy anything in. Hiscox would have preferred we'd bought at the time. But uh, there just simply wasn't anything available that was fit for purpose. So uh, really, there was only one option was to build it yourself. And then most big reinsurance companies have gone down that route um, because that becomes your IP. And you got to know Imaginera as one of the providers or the builders of your system, is that right? 
Toby, who set up Imaginera, um, was originally in Bermuda, and that's how we got to know each other. And he he went back to the UK to start Imaginera. So, tell me a bit about Imaginera themselves. Toby Crawford started, uh, and his wife started the company about five years ago when they moved back uh, from Bermuda. Um, that we now have about thirty coders based in Oxford and Bristol. We have a couple of very big clients, so Hiscox obviously one of those, uh, Fidelis another. And I think we are fairly unique in our ability to offer a sort of real-world understanding of reinsurance combined with sort of coding technical excellence. Uh, we have, a, obviously, at this point, a, a very large ex- amount of experience in building end-to-end reinsurance platforms. Um, so we sort of specialise in helping people develop their own systems, uh, which they own the IP of. But um, increasingly, with me coming on board, the future will, you know, we're starting to look more at what partnerships might look like and Imagineer starting to build up its own IP as well. And presumably, most companies don't make a decision fairly frequently, or they make a decision only every few years, even decades, about which systems they're using. So how do you... As you look at growing the business, how, how do you sort of map out the future when you've got really only a very short window and a fairly regular basis f- to, to find the companies to work with? Yeah, the truth is that's a, that's a real challenge. And ultimately, we, we what we want is few clients, but those clients to be very sticky uh, and be we're very much a partnership, you know, sort of external uh, coding resource for them. So in many ways, we're part of their team, but just as an, as an external contractor. Um, but it's obviously it's a big decision to start down a route and once you start down that route it tends to be very sticky I guess with my background it's my knowledge of how things operate at the different companies is helpful in knowing how to target so just moving on to this issue of interoperability so yeah one of the challenges the market has had for a number of years is a lot of systems have been designed in silo and it's very difficult to move data from system to system very difficult to find some common themes across multiple databases uh, from your experience of building out the platform at Hiscox and also what you see now at Imaginera do you see things getting better in how these different applications are able to talk to each other uh, yeah I think it's gradually getting better but there's still plenty of scope for improvement and I guess these are areas which we are looking to help people get better at um, you know, there are there's still a lot of dysfunction in terms of how data is transferred between companies, um, how modelling data is moved around, how brokers communicate mainly via email still. Um, and I think there's a lot of room to make that easier. I mean, there's certainly examples where you can kick off the modelling automatically with ARMS, for example, these days, which makes life a lot easier via APIs. But I still think there's a lot of scope to do this better and there really hasn't been a sort of industry-wide standard that's been adopted universally. And as you're talking to the companies you're working with and and looking at what else they're using, I mean, how how much information is available if you want to help them create connections between other applications? Is is there a fairly good set of data out there about how the data moves between different systems? There's a lot of variation out there. Um, Some MPIs obviously work very well and others, there still needs a lot of customization. Uh, to to allow you to do what you you want. Uh, let's talk a bit about catastrophe modelling. So you started off your career with RMS running models. You used them fairly regularly as a, an underwriter. 
what what's your view on the state of the of the market for underwriting models today? Have, have all the models reached maturity and saturation, or do you still see opportunities for improvements in modelling? Yeah, I think there's still a, a lot of uh, areas that could be improved to help the underwriter get the total answer. Um, I think in terms of things like the standard and um, more mature models, such as the US hurricane model and earthquake model, you know, things at this point are probably as good as they need to be. Uh, but there's a lot of room to do things like the non-model perils better. Um, there's still lots of missing perils like flood. Um, but increasingly, I think the answer is, well, as an ex-underwriter, you know, trying to get to the total answer includes things like you know, how well does the company operate? Uh, how does it deal with fraud? You know, when you've got a situation, Michael, where 25% of the loss is coming from fraud, where, how, how do you think about that as a as an underwriter and how do you measure that uh, I think that comes back to you know big data sets and how you uh, interact with those big data sets so we, we, you need systems that are able to, to bring all those different answers together from lots of different ver various places and consume large amounts of data to give you a sensible answer at the end of the day so it's, it's, a, it's a challenge and I think there's still plenty of room to address the other side to modelling so still lots of opportunity for, for data sets, but not necessarily what maybe traditionally have, would have been thought of as data for modeling such as hazard, but more about human behavior and cost of rebuild and other areas outside of just the peril itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think fraud, understanding fraud is a, is a very big and important topic. And, you know, I think big data can give you some pretty strong answers in that, you know, in different people write different sets of portfolios you know you have client a who has a has a very mature elderly client base middle income they're going to respond very differently to a younger miami-based set a question back to your underwriting days and just reflecting on the fact that there are a lot of companies now coming in offering different types of data to help people make underwriting decisions or make better underwriting decisions you know, when you're under when you were an underwriter which wasn't that long ago you know, what kind of data was it that actually really helped you make different decisions on the treaties and the portfolios you were looking at? Your job as an underwriter is to basically to piece together all the different bits of the puzzle uh, to try and really what you're interested in is how companies compare. So the comparative measures, any data that allows you to compare companies versus another company, so, you know, portfolio A versus portfolio B based on their exposure, I think is helpful because ultimately your job is to pick who's doing a better job relative to the price that you're receiving for that business. Uh, so, you know, data around data quality of buildings, uh, such as, you know, some insurance to value, for example, might be a good one to look at uh, relatively. Um, so, you, you know, we use big data sets like that to, to decide it's around how much exposure we might deploy on one company versus another. So, uh, it's every, everyone can run the standard model is what the insurance companies of the future are looking for additional sources of data which can augment their decision to allow them to better calibrate company A versus company B against each other yeah I guess it's a very important distinction because a lot of the sort of discussion around data relates to pricing or risk selection but actually what you're saying is that it was really a question of how you do you deploy your capa your capital your capacity on the different businesses that you write so you make sure you're kind of maximizing 
your capital on the ones that you've got the greatest confidence in and the other ones you might still underwrite them but you might just be a little bit more severe on how much of that capital you allocate yes and and to the point where you know a company that does a really good job actually deserves potentially can get a discount uh, so you know you're prepared to write a reinsurance contract at slightly less if you're really confident in the underlying exposure relative to and and a bigger line relative to a company where you know that the underlying exposure is a little more shoddy you're less likely to deploy a big line and, and you're want you're going to want a bigger price so just to talk a bit about how you how you work with people you know one of the challenges for organizations is when they engage the technology company how to specify the product you know, how to how to make it clear what they want what kind of guidance from your own experience and what you're doing now can you give to people to get the best out of their technology provider when they're specifying their systems uh, yeah the truth is, is it's not an easy thing uh, to do well and each situ- situation tends to be slightly different but i certainly prefer a much more agile approach um, the way we work is you know i think uh, we're because we come with a lot of prior experience, it's not you know you explaining to a BA that then explain to a business analyst that then moves that on to a remote developer. We're coming with a real understanding of what most people are doing day to day, and so that proximity uh, between uh, the customer, the end user, and the developer, and when the developer really understands what the end user wants, uh, is the best approach, I, th- I believe. And you can develop things very cheaply and very quickly that way um, and what we tend to do is work in sort of two week sprints where we the user is able to sort of help understand what they've what direction they're going and also change direction if they if they if they want to so Bevis you've been in technology for 20 years you've also been there as a practitioner and an underwriter about four years ago the term insurtech popped up as a whole bunch of companies arrived claiming they could change insurance What's your perspective on where we are now? Yeah, despite being a, a massive fan of technology, obviously with my role, um, I, I'm i a little bit sceptical. I've seen a lot of people come and go. Uh, you know, I do think there's lots of room for efficiencies, but personally, I think that the big successes will likely be with the existing players getting better and uh, becoming more efficient rather than a big revolution of, new startups that are going to change the world um you know take for example a company like lemonade underneath the surface they, they're really just an insurance company that sells renters insurance in new york um other they've done a fantastic job of marketing uh, but in many ways they are an insurance company much like any other um so i i believe that there's lots of scope for the existing players to improve um, and you know we, we obviously hope to help them do that. Good. Well, you, you can be part of the the innovation journey. And so on that, so anybody that wants to find out a bit more about Imaginera or track you down, what's the best way to find you? Uh, yes, yeah, so, certainly. Well, uh, it's obviously the website's an easy way to start. Uh, so Bevis Tetlow uh, is my name, and uh, yeah, Imaginera uh, is the company. Good. Well, Bevis, thanks very much for carving some time out to come and catch up. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. In the four years since Instec London was founded, we have spoken to and heard from over 300 companies driving innovation, either as buyers or providers of technology at our monthly evening events. 
You can hear most of our speakers for the last 12 months on this, the Instec London podcast. Uh, and further information and details are at our website at www.instec.london, including registration details for our forthcoming events. We are supported by close to 100 corporate members, uh, including Insurance Insider. And if you'd like a free copy of their latest issue, you can find that at insuranceinsider.com backslash London and details will be on the episode notes.